I tell you, God ain't good. I be man, low key lit, 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 high key lit, 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 low key lit, flex, oh squad be lit, 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 low key lit, 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 high key lit, 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 low key lit, flex, oh squad be lit. What's up, family? Thank you so much for tuning into Lit Seconds with Marielle. I am Marielle, and I am so grateful that you are here and that you're tuned in. So no matter where you're listening from, whether it's your car, whether it's you shopping for groceries, whatever it may be, thank you for tuning in. I am really excited about today's episode. This whole month of August, we're focusing on mental and emotional health just in various components. And so today, we're actually going to be talking about the emotional weight of leadership. I think a lot of times we can get a lot of skill set as leaders, but I think that there's something emotionally that we need to have if we're going to be effective um, in our leadership and leading other people. And so today, I'm really excited because I have a very special guest, Dr. Monique Jackson, and she's going to be kind of talking to me about, you know, what, how we can be very emotionally healthy leaders. Um, as we're trying to lead people. So no matter how you lead, whether it's at your church, whether it's in corporate, you know, whether it's in higher education, doesn't matter. I think um, it all still holds the same. And so, Dr. Gaston, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for the invitation. I'm so excited okay. to be with you. Of course. Well, for people who may not know you, give, can you do you mind introducing yourself and just kind of giving us a little bit of background about who you are and, um, you know, just your experience? Yeah, so wow, uh, this is always just interesting. I know, that's always a tough part. <laughs> I don't remember if you're going to introduce myself. Well, I am uh, Dr. Monique Ganson, and I am um, a licensed professional counselor. I also have done my doctoral work in marriage and family therapy. My dissertation research um, was on premarital couples, understanding family of origin influence and how it, it will impact, it will <laughs> impact their future marital relationships. So that was my area of focus. Um, so for 19 years now, I've been a counselor. Um, the past 16 years, I was on staff at a church here in Atlanta where I did grief counseling, premarital, I was in charge of the premarital counseling, marriage counseling, you know, any type of counseling needs. Uh, I service the congregation with that. So right now I am um, director of my company, Transforming Visions. So there I do counseling services and I'm also a consulting therapist. So I do consulting work with churches who are looking to find ways to implement um, mental health services into the church. Um, one of the areas of passion and advocacy for me has, has been to even um, help churches become emotionally well themselves. So some of this whole discussion that we're having, I was really excited about because I'm thinking, this is what I talk to people about, <laughs> um, about just having an emotionally well, um, even environment. So I do a lot of work around that um, with, with consulting, um, as a consulting therapist, that is. So um, I'm married, been married for 24 years, I have two daughters, one is 23, the other is 16. Um, I, yeah, that's about, I, I don't know what else to say, that, that, that pretty much consumes my life as I know it, um, and to, to bring some balance to it. Um, as for recreation, I love to watch college football. Um, I'm a graduate of the University of Alabama, so roll tide. Sorry, people who <laughs> want to hear that. Um, uh, so I love watching college football. I love um, scrapbooking. I love um, exercise. I love walks outside. Um, yeah, photography, just those kind of outlets, just to kind of try to have a well-rounded life. <laughs> I love it. So let's dive right in. Yeah. Um, so I think I kind of said it in the excuse me in the entrance of the show how oftentimes we have these leadership conferences that really focus on you know the 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 skill set I always say um, the soft skills that you need right so um, you need to like people <laughs> that, that's helpful you need to love people <laughs> not just like them but love them but then. Right. So what is the makeup of a leader? 
But I think the thing that gets left out of the conversation a lot is the emotional aspect that or components that a leader should really have um, in order to truly be effective. So in your estimation, mm-hmm. what are some emotional markers um, that leaders should possess in order for them to be effective um, in what they've been called to do or assigned to do or, you know, whether they're supervising on their job or their church. Yeah. So I think there, um, I, I think of it in, in kind of three, I guess, categories. So I would say that first and foremost, the person has to be emotionally expressive which means he or she has the ability to express what they are feeling emotionally. Um, And I'll just kind of say them and then I'll I'll kind of talk about them separately. So I think one needs to be able to be emotionally expressive. Then I think that there needs to be the ability to be emotionally congruent. Okay. And then lastly, um, I think a person needs to be able to be emotionally regulating. So, um, and not that that comes in any particular order. I kind of think of them as a system, since I am, you know, a, a systems thinker, systems trained person. But I think about that kind of in a more of a of a circular kind of um, operation, if you will. So, a person needs to have the ability to express whatever it is that he or she is feeling. So, if I am angry, I need to be able to say I'm angry, as opposed to saying I'm okay. You know, you need to be able to, to say what it is that you're really feeling. Um, and, in, in, and that, again, kind of just kind of leads me into being congruent because people will look at you and say that this situation should be upsetting. But if you're smiling or if you're laughing and this should be an upsetting situation, you know, people are kind of thinking, OK, what's really happening here? Because what the situation might um call for, I guess I would say, emotionally is not what is being expressed. And so therefore, people may have um, a sense of distrust in whatever it is that you are, you're, you're saying you're feeling because they're thinking, no, I know you're really mad, you know, but if you're sitting here smiling, like, are you going to blow up on me later, <laughs> you know? Um, so the ability to be emotionally con- and then the ability to be able to regulate those emotions because yeah you're going to be in some situations that might be high pressure you know maybe infuriating even even um you know you become angry but do you have that ability to be able to regulate whatever that emotion is that you're feeling i mean you know we know that there are sometimes when you have some extreme conditions that call for you know maybe more extreme um reactions but again that ability to be able to regulate that is what we're looking for so i'm I'm thinking those three things the ability to express oneself emotionally the ability to um, be congruent emotionally and then the ability to be able to regulate and again kind of looking at that as like this interlocking system as opposed to just kind of this linear um, process yeah i think that's good i think I feel like oftentimes if you're in leadership, you feel like you can't really be honest with how you right. feel because you don't know how people will receive it. Yes. Right. And so I feel like that's a struggle that many people have, which winds up causing people to be emotionally unhealthy because they're not saying I'm mad <laughs> or like that really upset me, you know? Right. Um, and I think that that's the thing. I don't know if it, subconsciously taught in a sense because I feel like you feel as a leader you have to always have the answers so you can't mm-hmm. say I'm frustrated or I'm because you have people that you know are following you so you're like who do I vent to and I know for me personally that has happened to me in leadership where I did not I literally had no outlet for two years so it was like it got backed up <laughs> you know what I'm saying like because yes. I, I felt like I couldn't be honest to say I'm not happy or mm-hmm. I don't feel like I have everything I need in order to be successful mm-hmm. or I'm having a hard day or I'm having, <laughs> like even just to say I'm having a bad day. So right. I think a lot of times we just feel like they have to hold that in and yeah. they don't necessarily have to. I think people can appreciate authenticity and just you being honest. I think there's a balance in that. I think you can't 
do everything. You can't sell everything on your field. But I think telling people that, you know, or that disappointed me, you know, mm-hmm. and, you know what I'm saying? Like, and being okay with that. Yes. So what are some healthy ways, I think, for people to actually be honest in how they're feeling? I, I have this thing where I say, I want to be truthful with people, but I also want to leave you whole. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want you to stay whole, but I got to be truthful with you. And some people don't really know how to do that. I think it's one extreme to the other. Either they're super passive and they just don't say anything. Right. Or they're just super abrasive. And it's like, wow, you know, like, you know, like they'll say something, but it it causes damage. Mm -hmm. What are, I guess, so what, what are some maybe healthy ways that we can approach being honest with people about how we feel, even if it's something, they, maybe they disappointed us or maybe they upset us or they didn't meet our, our standards. How can, mm-hmm. What are some healthy ways that we can maybe engage with people that we need um, so it leaves them whole and healthy? Yeah. So I think um, first and foremost, um, as with all things relation, relationally, relationally, yeah, relationally speaking, it starts with self. So for me to be able to express to you that, hey, as a leader, I am disappointed. You, um, kind of what I was saying in terms of just being able to express that, but you own it. So I am disappointed as opposed to you kind of dump it on the person and say, you disappoint me. Because then it begins to sound personal. It does become um, attacking because now we're attacking a person's being as opposed to the behavior that we might find disappointing. So um, for me to own it is to be able to say, I am disappointed in your tardiness. I am, you know, disappointed in you not giving your best on this particular presentation. So it's being able to say what you feel because whatever the situation is, is um, causing some emotional reaction within you. So it's yours. So you need to be able to say, this is mine. I own it. I am disappointed, but also sticking with what the action or behavior is that the person has um, done. So they can walk away as you're saying being whole, because it's not like I'm being attacked as a person. They are talking about a specific behavior. Now, the part that, um, tends to be a little difficult in that is that a lot of people don't know how to separate who they are from what they do. So we walk around more more times than not. And so this is one thing, like I, I am what I do, or I am who I do or whatever, you know, the case may be. And we don't realize that who our being and our doing are two separate entities. So um, even in leadership, being able to maybe understand that Maybe a lot of people really don't know that concept. So even if you have to communicate that to a person like, hey, you know, you're great. You are, you know, you, you do good work. You, you're creative. You're whatever. You're whatever. However, here is what I am finding disappointing is when this happens. So that way you've kind of laid a little bit of a groundwork um, there to be able to say, I am owning what I feel. If you don't know how to separate who you are from what you're doing, I'm going to give you a little bit of that. And then again, I'm going to just focus specifically on that behavior or that action that I have found the need to be able to express, you know, to you, whatever is creating in me. No, I think, I think that's awesome. That's really good. Um, I know that a lot of leaders, a lot of times, may be serving in probably not the best environment. Mm-hmm. Um, for sometimes it may be toxic for them, or just sometimes they may not feel like they have everything that they need in order um, to really do what they're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I feel like there may be some environments that are emotionally dangerous. Um, yes. And trying to lead in that can be very tough and hard. So. Yes. My question to you is, what are some uh, key indicators that when a leader may be working or serving um, in an unhealthy environment? And then if they are, what are some steps that they can take 
in order to protect their mental health um, within that environment if they have to stay in it. Yeah, so some ways that we can identify toxic environments will be if they're, um, one of the first things I guess that kind of jumps out in my mind is usually when there are poor boundaries or no boundaries whatsoever. So when there is not this clear distinction between, um, especially if we're talking in this capacity of leadership. So if we have a person who is defined or identified as leader, then we're going to have to assume that there have to be people who are followers, you know, so or either employer and employees or, um, you know, principal and teachers or preacher and congregants, whatever the case may be, we, we identify kind of readily that there are different um, relationships and that those relationships should fall in some kind of higher archival kind of pattern. But if you come into a system where or an environment where there's just kind of like this blob of stuff and they're not, um, you know, clearly defined boundaries and, and roles, then that is one way that you can identify that this, this environment may not necessarily be the most um, emotionally healthy environment that I'm about to find myself in. That can be one way. Um, you know, another way could definitely be um again where okay so we have the lack of boundaries but there also tends to be where there is um when we're talking about systems so there may be like a subsystem like a group of people here or an individual there who um how do i want to explain it um keeps every other piece kind of locked into where they are. So for example, if um, I tend to be an employee, but maybe I've been there the longest. And if someone that is another employee wants to talk to this leader about, you know, how unfair it is people take more vacation time when they're not supposed to or longer breaks or something, you know, whatever the, the scenario could be but that person keeps the other person from voicing their concerns so you can realize that there could be a toxic environment when there seems to be a group or either an individual that seems to be controlling the system that keeps it from you know freely moving about or having these clear boundaries or whatever the case may be that can suggest that the environment that you're in is, is toxic and unhealthy. And kind of um, along with that, when it's set up where there's like only one person that is like the spokesperson or the go-to or, you know, the person you report to, that is never going to be healthy because it's, it's it, you, you again, you're going to have to almost assume that, well, why is everybody else kind of in this sub type of position to this one you know so right there that lets you know that there has been some structuring you know of the system in such a way that this person is kind of um, sitting atop of all of the other groups individuals relationships or whatever the case may be and that person holds the power the control the voice even within that system so when you kind of walk in and you can kind of see or kind of experience that that can let you know you know that you're walking into an unhealthy um kind of relationship now one thing i have thought about also i, I think about um the story of moses <laughs> when god told moses that you know i'm going to send you back to pharaoh and you're going to tell him to let my people go but he also told him that Pharaoh's heart was going to be hardened, you know, to him. So it's like, okay, are you sending me somewhere where you already telling me that my message is going to fall on deaf ears and that there's going to be this resistance, you know, that is going to be um, present. So sometimes I feel like leaders are going to be sent into environments where they already know 
that, you know, for whatever the reason is toxic, is stressful, you know, there's no structure, uh, you know, whatever the case may be. And I think kind of going into that, you definitely have to be in a place, you know, mentally and emotionally and prepare your psyche to be able to enter into an environment that you know from the jump is going to be resistant. So I do believe that when you know these things and when you identify them once you're immersed in the system, that you just have to then be the one to establish those boundaries. You have to be the one to define those roles and those expectations within those roles. You have to be the one to give voice to the voiceless and to find and to diffuse some of the power from the person whose voice is the only one that you hear. Now, I, I think that's good. And I think you hit on something that I kind of want to dig a little bit deeper into. They're going to be leaders who their sole purpose really is to enter into possibly a toxic environment or one that is filled with resistance, right? Yes. So for leaders who are that, maybe it, you know, they specifically chose you to come in and fix a really damaged part of the company that you know is about to be a lot of work and it's going to be a lot of transition and a lot of changes. Or maybe it's they brought you in uh, to be a part of, you know, uh, become a part of a ministry of, of the ministerial staff um, mm -hmm. or part of the ministry that is just, it's time for change and it people are resistant, you know. Um, so you know what you're walking into and it could be toxic for a while. Mm -hmm. um, I, what, are, what are some ways that I think where even though you are going into the toxic environment that you're not allowing the toxic environment to get in you because yeah. you're having to be in this, um, this place where there's constantly a pull. Like it's, um, how do we as leaders keep from number one, I think, um, I guess becoming in a sense bitter with being in that type of environment. Cause I feel like as a human being, yeah, it's only so like you, I have patience to a degree, but right. when you consistently met with that, I think at some point that begins to affect you. Um, yeah. so how do we enter into toxic environments, but not allow toxic environments to disrupt who we are. So I guess in other words, how do we create a space within our own heart, mind, emotions where um, we are being our healthiest self, even though we've been assigned to a place that is probably not the healthiest? Like, how do we do that balance? Yeah, well, um, this is where the work of the individual becomes the emotional work, <coughs> excuse me, of the individual is so very important because you have to go in with a acute and keen awareness of who you are and what you're assigned to do. So for example, as you're saying, yeah, all of us as humans are going to only have so much patience <laughs> and after being met with so much resistance, you know, it can be, I give up, I'm done, hands up, next person, try it if you want it, you know? Um, but I believe that when you go into it knowing it, again, you know yourself emotionally. So now, well, let's, let's say we hope you know yourself emotionally. So if you're going into these situations and if you don't, know yourself in terms of strength and weaknesses. And this is the thing kind of alluding back to what you um, or piggybacking back to what you said originally about leaders who feel like they can't be um, open and, and honest. Sometimes we tend to kind of minimize or hide our weaknesses because we feel like it's always got to be our strength that has to be on display. And, you know, and to some degree, we're kind of taught that, you know, it's just like tap into your strength, tap into your strength. And this is true. But if you don't know the underbelly of that weakness, that is what's going to be the thing that's going to kind of come up and nip you on the heels, you know, and it's going to be what's going to kind of um, become your Achilles heel. So you have to know how um, far your patience is going to go. 
you have to go in prepared to say, um, being very strategic and intentional with your planning to say, I know in this day, in this week, in this month, in this quarter, I am only going to try to get this accomplished. Because if you begin to set up unrealistic expectations, then you are going to only frustrate yourself because you know that you're going to go in met with a lot of resistance. So you have to know that for one, there's only going to be so much that you can do. Now, if you have this need, and this is where it comes back to, again, where we really need to know who we are, uh, because if you have a need to be a people pleaser, if you have a need to have kind of a Superman, Superwoman complex, I'm a savior. Um, you know, if you have this need to be um, white, then you're going to go in and that is going to be what's driving you. I'm going to do this so they will like me. I am going to do this so I can please the masses. You know, I'm going to do this so I can save all these people who need to be saved. And if you don't get those results, which I'm pretty certain that you're not, you know, then you are going to then begin to feel defeated or, you know, depressed or anxious or angry even, you know, what confused you then will be um, dealing with all of these kind of negative emotions because you're going into it looking to resolve an unmet place within you. And that's not what you're there for. You know, you're not there for that. So the, the, the art, the, the, the um, balance is trying to figure out how do you go in. It's kind of almost like, well, like we say in the Christian world, you know, how we're in the world, but we should, we, we're in the world and shouldn't be of the world. That's the one we say it, right? So you almost have to kind of go in and be like, how can I be in this system but not of the system? And the way that you do that is that you have to define who you are. You know, I'm not here to bring harm to anybody, as you're saying, I want people to be whole, but I also know that I may have to make some hard decisions. You know, I also know that I may have to go in here and reprioritize or restructure some things and you stick to the task that you are supposed to do. You go into it knowing that it is going to be any, it's going to, it's going to, um, it's going to tap you emotionally. And so you have to build yourself up emotionally. So as like, like our gas tank, you know, as we keep driving and it keeps getting closer and closer to E, when you know that your emotional, you know, reservoir is kind of like going lower, 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 you, you need to know when it is you need to kind of come out of that and then go elsewhere to be refreshed and refueled before you go back. But the only way that you're able to do that is that you gotta, you gotta have um, a, a, a true, a true, true sense of self. Too many times we operate in this kind of pseudo self role where we will be all things to all these different people because that's what we think we should be doing as opposed to that's who we really are. So if you are operating from that, and again, when all of that pseudo need stuff doesn't get met, you know, then the real you, which is underneath all of this, is going to be what's going to take and absorb and feel those effects of that. So it's, it's just important to be able to understand yourself. You need to be able to understand um, how you react to hostility. How do you react to anger? How do you react to someone challenging your authority? Because you can just about project that these are going to be the things that you're going to be met with. So if for some reason, you know, if hostility is going to trigger you and maybe take you back to, oh, okay, I grew up in a hostile environment, you know, my mom or my dad were um, struggling with alcoholism and therefore our environment was chaotic and it was hostile and so i'm still you know kind of edgy about those things so if i'm met with hostility and it takes me back to that then i'm going to react as i would react then because i haven't resolved that mm -hmm. so we got to be so very aware of 
ourselves, we've got to be aware of the places that we lack emotionally, and all of us have them. So there's no need to go in and pretend we're on 100, because we're not. <laughs> you know, we're just not going to experience that on this side whatsoever. So we have to be honest enough with ourselves to ask ourselves, what are our places that are deficient? You know, as you were talking about when you go to these leadership conferences or whatever, you know, and it's kind of like, oh, you know, you got to like people and da, 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 da. And again, we focus on those strengths, but we don't usually go to that underbelly. You know, we don't talk about, hey, you know, what does bother you? You know, what does create kind of issues for you or emotional responses for you that can linger? We don't hit those places, but, you know, I'm the one that practices from, that's where I want to go. I tell my couples in premarital counseling, and that's my passion. You know, I'm, tell, me, tell me about yourselves. You're the expert of your relationship. So when they sit there and, oh, we don't argue, and da 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 and we see all this, you know, I, I, I was, I'm sitting there going, here we go, pseudo sales, you know. We want to tell what the therapist wants to hear. Um, but if you're not getting to the place where you're like, yeah, we're good there, but man, when we get here, this is where we have issue. See, that's where I'm wanting to focus with them. Okay, well, if you say you got everything else, that's good. But these areas that go unspoken, that go unrecognized, are going to be the things that are probably going to create the most um, grief for you. So that is the place where we need to focus our attention and our energy and resolve those things so that you can integrate that into who you are. We don't, we don't minimize it. We don't ignore it. We don't make it go away. We just resolve it to the place that you can kind of fold it into who you are, if you will. And then that way, again, you know it's present, but you keep it from being in the driver's seat. That's good. I think it hits on a lot of things I think I've experienced probably in the past years is you know leading a lot especially in my in the church space um had the skill set more than capable but i think that there were things that were undealt with that Mm -hmm. i needed to deal with right and so Mm -hmm. i thank god for being strong enough to be like "Ah, i need to sit down (laughs) because i realized if i don't deal with this and heal from this I'm going to cause damage that I'm not really meaning to cause, but I just haven't dealt with it. And I really think it takes you being honest with you, um, number one. And number two, you have to be willing to sit with you. Like, you have to be willing to really sit with yourself. Yes. Like, what are my triggers? What are, like, why did I even respond in that way? That wasn't even necessary. Where did that come from? You know what I mean? So, um, I have done a lot of work in that. And, mm-hmm. you know, so when I lead again, because I know that I will, mm-hmm. that it's a healthier place and yes. that I am not um, unintentionally causing um, damage to the people that are under my purview because mm-hmm. I got unresolved issues, right? And I, I honestly feel sometimes when we are the ones responsible for placing leaders, so whether it's senior leadership placing, you know, volunteer leaders or we're hiring people for our church staff or we're hiring people for our um our companies or whatever it may be sometimes Mm -hmm. i don't think we do a deep enough dive to make sure this person is where they're supposed to be especially depending on what position you're putting them um i i think sometimes we they're like i said they're gifted they're amazing they're awesome but there's we don't do the yeah, but I want you to talk to somebody so we can get to that point of where, where, where is the, where's mm-hmm. where there's something there. So I want just to make sure that we are not hiring a person or placing a person in the division that really not rich. And I think Absolutely. sometimes we're able to hide behind our gifts and we mm-hmm. get put in positions mm-hmm. that ultimately wind up destroying us because mm-hmm. there's so much undealt with um emotional trauma um past pain that we just haven't really faced and it winds that thing that we love to do and we get positioned but it winds up destroying us (laughs) like it literally winds up destroying us so with that note do you think it is important 
that if people are saying that they're leaders, it doesn't matter what space that they leave. But I really want to especially put a, a, a thumbtack in church leadership for sure. Um, that they have some regular time. It may not be every week, maybe once a quarter, I don't know, but that they have um, some outlet to talk to um, a therapist or a counselor um, because there can be a lot of things that people bear that you can't talk to the people that you're reading about. Like you can't, some things yeah. you can be transparent on, there's some things you absolutely cannot. Yes. Um, but just so they're able to get it out. Do you think that that is a healthy thing for leaders to really be able to try to have some type of therapy session, counseling session to ensure that they are staying healthy? Yes, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> and yes, I am biased. Yes, yes, yes. But, uh, but yes, because of the fact that what you are dealing with, you know, 115% of the time, is people, relationships, their emotions, you know, their mental um, states. So you absolutely have to do your work because if not, what we call it in, in the world of therapy is that there is going to be this process of transference that is going to take place. So for example, if I, and I'm glad you are touching on cheap church leadership because that tends to be, you know, as where I've spent like the majority of my, my work time in church environments. And again, you know, being called upon from, from other churches. Um, so I, that's where I've spent the majority of my, my professional time is in church environments. So, um, yeah, if, and so, so, I'm, I'm advocating so desperately. So people who are listening to this, yes, call me. <laughs> because I truly believe in and what I am even, um, I've been creating um, programs around equipping the, the saints, which is the leaders, it's leadership development. And, and my, my whole mantra is to do no harm. So how is it that we do no harm? Well, you do no harm when you are aware of issues that you have that you could potentially be transferring um, or counter-transferring to the people that you are trying to, that are coming to you for help. So if we have um, someone who is in church leadership, maybe a person who is on the ministerial staff, who is talking with a couple who is in marital distress. But if each individual, you know, she's saying, you know, he won't help me with things around the house. And he is saying, well, I bring home the check. I work all day. You know, that's my job. Your job should be, you know, to take care of everything here. If the minister that they are speaking with tends to believe the same thing that the husband is saying, well, then he is going to unconsciously form this alliance with the husband. And he is then going to probably begin to talk to the wife as though he would probably be saying to his wife, I bring home the check, babe, what, what you need for me? Like, I mean, you got plenty of time to get these kids in the bed, you know, and I'm being very stereotypical and very general, but you know, it gets the point across. But he then begins to talk to that person who is sitting there um, hopeful that we're going to get some help, some of these needs met, but instead I'm going to be talked to um, by this person that I'm seeking help from as though it's my husband all over again. And he could be thinking to himself, woman, if you just get yourself, you know, together and whatever the case may be, y'all wouldn't have no marital distress. So if he, the minister, the person that's on the church leadership staff, isn't dealing with the distress that is in his own relationship, if he is not dealing with the stressors that are, is in, or that are in his life, then when people come and he will be able to identify with some of what these people have going on, 
he is going to put his on them because there's this identification that's taking place with them. So you're damaging people because how is this lady supposed to feel where I've got this husband who could be emotionally or psychologically abusive to me. I mean, verbally abusive. We don't know. Cause of course they're not going to come in and say everything. Um, and now the person that I'm coming to and I am peeling back my fig leaves and I'm, I'm, I'm making myself vulnerable in front of you. And now you're going to berate me. So, okay. Now I'm going to just kind of, cover myself back up but guess what i'm going to do this time i'm going to reinforce that you know i'm not going to anybody else on that ministerial staff and share with them what's really going on with me because i am the one who gets you know blamed or is dumped on me and now we've sent someone away who was already injured with another wound on top of that so absolutely, church leadership individually need to have their own work, as well as I believe that the leadership staff absolutely should be going through some sort of leadership development training, um, whatever they need to term it where the staff as a whole, especially the ministerial staff, goes through this same kind of process, but as a group. Because if not, and I can tell you it's happening, it is happening and it will continue to happen, that there is someone on your staff who is damaging people who, is coming, who are coming to them. That's an absolute, you can bank on that for certain. It is happening because, again, the majority of us, we, we tend to think we're okay or the way that we try to deal with things is um, so superficial, so surface, that we don't really get to the core of our issues. And therefore, again, we got a whole lot of stuff that is left unresolved, unspoken, untalked about, and we tend to try to work those issues out when we're in relation with people, not necessarily relationship, but in relating with people, we're trying to work those issues out with that person and it's displaced. It doesn't even belong in that conversation, in that relationship whatsoever. Wow, that's, that's good. I think, um, <clears throat> Oh, this will be the last question to you. So I, um, you were saying something um, that I really kind of want to touch on. For those who are leaders who are responsible for leading leaders, so um, maybe you be, since we're talking about church references, the senior pastor or the executive pastor um, over the staff, or maybe you are the executive director over um, in your office and you have people under you. If you are responsible for leading leaders, mm -hmm. I really think it's important that I think sometimes things um, go under the radar because we're not paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. Or sometimes we're, we're just not focused on, I mean, let's be honest, sometimes things get really busy and it's a hectic and, and we're, sometimes we're not paying attention to people. I think people give hints and, 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 um, uh, detail sometimes or like they show little things that something in them is shifted right I think sometimes we can just be so busy we're just really not paying attention for mm -hmm. people who lead leaders um, what are some uh, things that they should look for in the leaders that they're leading where they possibly can identify that mm, I think there may I think we need to have a conversation or you I feel like you may be damaging like you were just saying, like, what are some maybe identifiers that we can look for in our leaders um, where we may need to have a conversation and, you know, maybe pull them down, sit them down, maybe go see somebody? What are some things we can kind of look for um, as signs? Yeah, so I think um, on the one hand, I think that is difficult to just readily identify 
you know, so simply because of the fact that um, unless you are in a place where you're close up with this person enough that you can um, observe these interactions, you, you, you may not see what you need to see in order to recognize, okay, I, you know, I might need to have a, a conversation with this person. You know, you might need to go somewhere and talk about this with somebody. Now, um, so, so with that, to that, I say that it would just be good for leaders of leaders to just require it because what's going to end up happening there is because of that dynamic with a leader over a leader, of course, I want to show my leader that I'm competent, you know, that I'm capable, um, that all is well in my world. Therefore, I am going to more than likely display that each and every time, you know, this leader of mine is around. So it's kind of almost like that effect of, you know, when kids know their parents are going to come and sit in in the classroom, or even when teachers know that they're going to be observed, you know, that might be the time you've got your lecture like written out as opposed to, okay, I'm just going to try to wing it today because I'm not as prepared as I would like to be. You know, we're going to display that that we want for them to see to make certain that they know that we're competent and we are, you know, um, capable of doing what it is that we are assigned to do. So I think that on the one hand, you probably just need to require it, period. Like, period. <laughs> you know, like you're going to go through this process or we're going to bring, you know, in someone who's going to go around, you know, and, and meet you know, three hours for a month or just whatever the case may be. Um, I think that that is um, probably one approach. Now, assuming that a leader can look at something and be able to identify this leader may need, you know, um, to go speak with someone or I might need to talk about, you might need to step aside. One of the things can be is asking straight up, how's your family? You know, where is your wife or your husband if it tends to be a woman? You know, um, y'all want to come in and talk to me. Because if, you know, wife or husband comes in and is like, oh, man, you know, we're stressed and financially we got this going on and, you know, and, you, and there's tension, you know, here or whatever the case may be, then the leader of the leader can say, you know what, I need to give some space and some time for this particular staff member to go and take care of his or her personal world so that when they are over here ministering or in ministerial land or leadership land or whatever the case may be, they are better apt to focus on what is before them without them bringing in all of this unresolved stuff. Or even if it's not yet resolved and dealt with, thing is at least I'm in that process and I'm being taught on how to kind of suspend that where it is supposed to be as opposed to me bringing it over here with the people that I'm dealing with. So I do believe that, um, you know, sometimes even having that relationship and that rapport with the people that you lead enough to be able to say, you know, I want to see your children. I want to see your family. You know, I need to hear from you guys, like what's really going on. Because again, if you're going to keep painting the picture that everything is well, you can assume that you're getting what they want you to know as opposed to what's really going on. And I don't mean to suggest that everybody's marriage has to be in distress and everybody's children are wayward. But what I am saying is that whatever that stressor is, if they haven't had the opportunity or the ability um, to talk about it or just to be able to say, you know, hey, we're going through a rough season right now. Wife lost her job. You know, things are tight. You know, we're stressed or whatever the case may be, then um, those things just stay internalized or they just kind of keep trying to work it, you know, in this little circle or whatever the case may be. And that does increase the likelihood that that can spill over when we are ministering to, you know, those people that are, we're there to serve. No, I think that's absolutely amazing. I'm going to um, end the conversation there, but I do want people mm -hmm. to know how they can get in touch with you. Um, 
Um, if you have anything coming up or, you know, if you want to, whatever information you want to share with them, um, how can people get in touch with you? So, yeah, I am, um, you can get me via email at transformingvisions at yahoo.com. I am also on Instagram and Facebook at Transforming Visions. Um, those are where I'll probably be the most active, being the most active probably on Instagram. Website, drmoniquesmithgatson.com. Um, they can reach me by phone, 678-832-7064. That's 678-832-7064. Um, yeah, so that, that those are some ways that they can definitely get in contact with me. Is there anything else that I forgot? Like social not, media, I'm still just like, I mean, I use it up. I that, try to be that, it, that was perfect because actually, what I'll do also is I'll have um the your information and stuff in the actual body of the episode so people can can have it and things of that nature. And if Y'all want to learn more about me or lit sessions? You can go to I am Mariel T. That's I am M A R I E L L E T dot com. I'm on. I'm that on all social media platforms. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time, Dr. Gaston, to have this. I really think important conversation. Um, and I feel like it's a conversation that needs to keep going and going and going and going. Yeah. <laughs> For us to be healthy and whole and just. Um, do everything we've been called to do, but just in a good, open space. Absolutely. Um, you know, and so again, I thank you so much for taking the time out of your schedule for us to have this conversation. And I thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I will catch y'all on the next episode. Have a good one. Thank you so much for tuning in to Lit Sessions with Muriel. I really hope that today's conversation really motivates you to keep leading, inspiring, and transforming, not just yourself, but the world around you. If you want to get in contact with me, feel free to visit my website at IamMarielT.com, or you can follow me on Facebook, on Twitter, and Instagram at IamMarielT, so that I am M-A-R-I-E-L-L-E-T. I can't wait for the next episode. See you guys then.